1: It's your call for the best college football coverage, from National Signing Day to the National Championship, and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli that's Danny Connell, that's Bud Elliott, I'm Chip Patterson, sending you into the weekend. With the big old bag of mail, uh, we're going to be talking about coach fighting. We're going to be talking about some of our uh, favorite logos. We're, we're looking at you know, even our experiences of the past season, as unique as it was, and much, much more. But we're going to begin with a call from inside the house, uh, an interesting topic that was brought up on the group chat. So we're just going to kick things off here because the news in baseball um just a mega deal. The San Diego Padres uh, spending like, I don't know,
1: like that's... Like it, a dude who just won the Powerball. I
0: mean, two $300 million yeah. players on the roster now as uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., bat flips and all, signed a 14-year deal, $340 million. How are we uh, going to approach this from the college football perspective? Well, when it comes to contracts, oh, man, you know we're always talking about the coaches. And so the question is right now here in 2021, what coach would you be willing to give a 14-year deal to? And I got to say, the, I started with um, you know David Sampson, nothing personal. It was, I was going for sort of his approach to this. And the very first thing out of his mouth is he said, uh, let me count up the MVPs that he's got. Oh, wait, I'm done at zero. Let me count up the world series that he's got. Oh, wait, at zero. So I, I kept that in mind. I was like, all right, well, you know, you don't have to have won a national championship yet to be able to get in on this deal. Uh, I've got two and a half coaches in mind, uh, who who wants to jump first at this? Who would you give a fourteen year deal to as a college football coach here in twenty twenty one?
2: It's I
3: mean, got to be at their current school, first right? First of all, can we say that they're well? I was also going to say, first of all, we've got what three coaches with ten year deals in like roughly because we have Jimbo got ten seventy five, Dabo's currently on ten year ninety three. And I'm assuming Saban would be there. And I think Saban would be the number one option where you'd say, but even at his age, I'd be like, yeah, throw it in. We'll give him the back end. Like it will figure it out. Like Tom Brady's playing until he's 43 Saban can coach till he's 85. <laughs> Whatever the, the, the age is.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't consider Saban for this because I'm just treating him as if he's already on a lifetime contract anyway, because he's going to be there until he right. decides he just doesn't want to be there anymore. So so Dabo is where I would go first
0: okay. because
1: what was Clemson before Dabo and where is Clemson with Dabo? I'll keep that guy for 14 years if I can. Uh, my second option was Link. Yeah. My second option was Lincoln Riley.
0: That was my number one without a doubt. Yeah.
1: And I think those are the two obvious choices. And I'm more interested in seeing where you guys went with names outside of those two. All right. So
2: I, I was thinking guys who are going to be hot on the market this coming fall. Like for me, Cincinnati, Luke Fickle. What's Mm. the chance Cincinnati is going to do a better job than Luke Fickle once he leaves? So I want to lock Luke Fickle up 14 years before he hits the open market, which is what the Padres did with Tatis. I mean, they they gave him a boatload of money, but they also gave him, I mean, a lot less money than he would have made if he had waited until he became a a full blown free agent. So him and then Billy Napier at Louisiana was the other one. Like, how often is Louisiana's coach going to be the dude? that a lot of SEC schools want, which is probably going to happen this coming offseason since we already sort of saw it happen this past offseason. So I I think those two for me are two obvious ones. Like, Is it a guarantee they'd be great?
1: But I I want to lock them up for as long as I can. Can I make an argument against that though? Sure. Because if I'm going to lock up Luke Fickle for 14 years or I'm going to lock up Billy Napier for 14 years – I have to pay them at a level commensurate with keeping them interested in being here forever. Cause like, let's be like, if Luke fickle keeps doing what he's doing at Cincinnati, when the Notre Dame job comes open or the Ohio state job comes open or Michigan or any big job that comes open, he's going to be at, The top of the list for it. Same with Billy Napier, particularly in the SEC. Any large SEC job comes open, Napier, if he's still doing what he's doing at Louisiana, is going to be at the top of the list as guys to come in. So they're going to have these offers coming. So I don't know if I want to give them 14-year deals specifically at the price. I would have to pay them to do it because what if it doesn't work like 14 years is a long time. Now, what happens if Billy Napier craters in year five, year six, year seven, and now I'm stuck paying a guy who I, you know, that's a lot of money for me at Louisiana to pay a coach to, the money that I probably had to give him in that contract. And I feel like that could be kind of, I don't have Auburn's boosters to come around and get me out of that one.
3: I would give, I just say, go ahead. I don't think I would give anyone one like to, just Ooh. for official, like to Tom's point, uh, go look at Bryce Harper. Like, do you think, do you think uh, the Phillies are happy with the money they spent yet? Not yes. yet. Will they ever be? Yeah, I, I think so.
1: I think they are. they are happy with it? Yeah, yes. for sure. With the
3: return on it? <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, I don't think Bryce so. Bryce Harper ain't been the problem. If you look at it from a war well, – I'm going to get all baseball time on you. If you look at it from a war perspective, Bryce has been worth the
3: contract. So He's far. been a value. But- yeah is does it translate to championships? Like that, to me, if I was an ownership or a fan, I wouldn't care less. Like Mike Trout, is his contract worth it? Yes, because he delivers, but the team sucks. Like he hasn't even made the playoffs for one time.
1: But that's the same thing about Bryce Harper.
3: Right. But that's my point. Like I would rather spread out the money and have a better team in place, which again, this is we're getting a little bit off topic, so we'll get it back on. The question I would have for you, bud, is – is this are is this real contracts or is this like the ten year deal that FAU gave? Lave Kiffin because remember he signed a ten year extension with uh, FAU, and I remember that because I was in Boca. And it's just for show. Like, are you trying to just keep these coaches happy, or are they like these are probably going to get bought out if they're succeeding in their deals? So there's really only downside.
2: So, so I could see. it. Danny Hicks, I'm trying to lawyer him. I'm I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying like like legit contracts here, not 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 these fake contracts, not not the Harbaugh extension, you know, with the Without, or the lovey extension? Gosh, without any additional buyout, um, I I think these are, these are you know real extensions. Like if you're if you're Louisiana, if you're Cincinnati, you know, would you be will, willing to kind of go all in? And say, hey, like we're going to scrape the money together and find it if you'll sign this thing. Like that that's that's kind of the way I approached it.
0: No one said Ryan Day.
2: I was going to, but I I was waiting for, for Danny to go, but then he said he didn't want to pick anybody.
0: The I, <laughs> because I I think that Ryan Day is already proven enough. And I think that Ryan Day can, like, and even with the very short sample size, even if you think that, uh, you know.
3: Urban's players.
0: Yeah, even if you want to <laughs> allege that this is just like, uh, or, or even behind the the secret sauce where it's like it's uh, a Mark Pantone and Mickey Mariotti, like, uh, I still think that Ryan Day um, at Ohio State, that is a fit that can continue to win Big Ten championships, compete for national championships, and you'd be willing, as Ohio State, as Gene Smith, to sign up and be like, all right, we'll let this thing rock for, for 14 years. Now, that might be bad for Luke Fickle, but it sounds like Luke Fickle's already got a 14-year deal over there at Cincinnati. But I think that Ryan Day has, has proven that he'd be uh, worth the heavy financial investment.
2: I got three for you that I, I want to bounce off you guys. Cool. I got a couple more too. You go first. All right. Would you give these contracts to Kirby? No. Would you extend Jimbo for 14 more or Mario? Four more. Four, Fourteen, 14 more. Like a, like, a new 14 year deal from this point forward. No. See, you'd be locking up Jimbo's 55 to age 69 seasons.
3: No. I wouldn't do it.
1: No, me neither. No, I'm not paying. I'm, I'm still not, skeptical
3: yeah. on if he can get it done in this contract.
1: Yeah. You know who I would do at one team, like a team that's not even somebody I think we would consider to ever be a national title contender. If I'm Wisconsin, I would give Paul Christ a 14-year deal because I already have seen what he's been able to do since he's come there and as somebody who was there already who knows the formula and knows how things work, if he's interested in being there for 14 years, I don't see why I wouldn't give Paul Chris that kind of job security or whatever you want to term it because I I, I would be happily keeping him there for as long as he wants to be there now Jim Leonard probably wouldn't be super excited to see Paul Chris (laughs) sign a 14 year extension but I just think that if I'm Wisconsin and I'm seeing what I've already if I would just want to keep the continuity of what I have and what I've already built keep the guy that already knows how to do it
0: so nobody uh, nobody weighed in on Mario would you give Mario Cristobal that 14 year deal
1: no no so I'm, I think I, I'm a think known Mario all... hater, <laughs> <laughs> dude.
0: Oregon fans are unhappy with our response to Pac-12 questions. Like oh, That's can
1: I address oh, that? Yeah, yeah, we need to take that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go I for think it. I, I read that uh, whether it was uh, SCO ducks or SCO ducks. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. How am I hating on Pac-12 fan bases? Like I. I <laughs> He says that I continuously hate on 12 I don't hate on 12 fan bases. I hate on Pac-12 leadership. I have nothing against the fan bases. I hate Larry. Oh, well, I don't hate him. I just give Larry Scott shit because Larry Scott was terrible running your conference into the ground. That's the way I see it. I don't hate on you. Tom, I think this
2: one might have been directed at me this time. Uh, so mm-hmm. he, he said, uh, what does the USC or what does USC needs to get back on top with Oregon at number two even mean? What's wrong with Oregon being on top? This is in our discussion of how does the Pac 12 like Pac Twelve get back to relevancy. Look, man, the league is going to get a lot more respect if it's like a super famous brand, the one that has actually won national titles, has produced millions of, you know, Heisman Trophy winners and like been a legendary college football program for decades as opposed to, you know, new money. If that's the team on top and your new money is your, your sort of supporting actor in that league and they're both really damn good, you're going to get a lot more support rather than Oregon being on top and USC is your number two because the implicit bias is always going to be, wait a second, is Oregon really this good or is USC just kind of down? Is USC not operating at peak efficiency? That's what it means. I mean, Dave FUXX, who asks us the question, like that's kind of what it is, man. If Oregon wins a couple national titles, mm-hmm. then – we might not be saying that anymore, but people do look at that league differently when USC is not
1: the one on top. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt Oregon has been the premier program of the PAC 12 for the last decade, but the premier well, program of the conference through its history is USC.
3: Don't, but I would say if Oregon won a national championship, like, don't you think for the past before Clemson, Florida state was the standard bearer, right? They had to carry the ACC in, in Clemson was getting closer, and then it's completely flip-flopped where Clemson's the standard bearer. You kind of hope Florida State comes back. Do you think you could see that type of shift in the Pac-12 if Oregon won multiple national championships? They could carry the conference, which I think is fair. I think they could. Yes. I think they have enough of a brand.
2: Right mm-hmm. now, Oregon is Virginia Tech of the, uh, of, of the 90s when when they joined the ACC. Like, they're getting to the ACC title game. They're winning it. But what did people say when, when you know, the Hokies were winning the ACC, right? it's like, oh, Florida State and Miami are down. You know, like Virginia Tech played for a national title. They had Michael Vick. They almost won it. You know, Oregon almost won a national title with, with Mariota. But they didn't quite get it done. They're kind of in that same mode. Now, don't take what I'm saying here to say that Oregon is, is the Hokies because clearly they're a better program now that, than Virginia Tech is. But it's kind of the same situation.
3: I think also when you think about giving out the, – here's the, the question I would have for Tom on Paul Christ – When I think of coaches you'd want to give a 14-year deal to, you're worried about them either jumping to the NFL or getting drawn away to another place. That's where the Lincoln Riley comes up because he always gets courted by an NFL team uh, supposedly behind the scenes. Would that happen with Paul Chris? Like, do you have to give him a 14 year to get him to stay? Which I that's why I would say you probably don't have to.
1: No, you don't have to. I don't think I don't think Wisconsin needs to worry about Paul Chris leaving for another job at any point, but I just think that kind of a statement of intent more than anything. Cause yeah. I I I don't think you'd have to give Paul Chris like a 14 year, $140 million deal to get him to stay in Madison.
0: Yeah, interesting little-known fact. Um, Paul Christ actually has to come by Barry Alvarez's office every Friday to pick up his check, like it's allowance for the week. And he says, thanks, Dad! And he just goes off and uh, and takes it home.
2: There are people who think that that program runs basically regardless of head coach. And that it's, it's kind of Alvarez running that thing.
1: Yeah. Um, but he won't be there plus, forever. But yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like Paul Christ might replace Barry Alvarez. You know well, what I yeah. mean?
3: And, and do you guys I think buy that, into that though from an athletic director, no. like how what can he do to keep the program rolling that much?
1: Listen, I think Barry Alvarez built that program. Barry Alvarez made Wisconsin football. He put in the blueprint and he gave the blueprint to his assistants in how to maintain it and keep it going. And he's still there, I think, as a sounding board and somebody who is involved in the program. But I think Brett Bielema, Paul Christ. Those guys are able to run it. Gary Anderson was trying to stray from the script, and Gary Anderson was gotten rid of quickly.
0: Yeah, I think that there—it's almost a throwback to like the 1970s, where the former coach just walks off, becomes the athletic director, and is you know still coming by practice and breaking down things on the chalkboard, like very, very thorough. I mean, very classic. Uh, I've got two that are fits that are so like so strong, I don't even know if they would leave, but I wonder if you are these universities and they're paired together. Kyle Whittingham, Kalani Sataki. They might stay for 14 years even without needing a 14-year deal, but I don't know if you're going to find better fits for those two jobs than what they have in place.
1: I think Witt makes some sense kind of in the St. Paul Christ mode. I don't know if Sataki is there yet for me. Yeah, I... I... Uh
2: I, I don't think Stocky is is I mean, he was he hot seat entering this season? Like like
1: yeah. they, they weren't in love with him.
0: Thought that was two years ago. Maybe it was two years ago.
1: Maybe, but it's the point is he's been on the hot seat and, and there has been interest in Whittingham. Right. Like like you, it wouldn't have shocked me a couple of years ago. Like Utah's had a couple of good seasons now where they're they're back on an upward trend. But I thought for a while with Wit we were gonna see something like what we saw with Bronco at BYU going to Virginia.
0: Like at some point, he just sort of feels like he's he's hit his ceiling and he's going to. He's, gonna he's end done it.
1: what he can and maybe he was going to try to do something else, but it's a different situation, obviously, because BYU didn't have a path to the playoff, whereas Utah does have a path to the playoff. But I think, wait, at this point, I think there was a there was a window for that possibility. I think we're past it now. I think he's just at Utah now.
0: I hear you. All right, let's uh, jump into the big old bag of mail. This question comes from Alex. Hey, guys, I found Cover 3 a bit before the 2020 season and has quickly become my favorite college football pod. Uh, I love the addition of Bud to the show, especially since I discovered Barton and Bud just days before Barton's hiring at Vandy. Man, sorry, Alex. I'm glad you were able
1: to jump uh, in I would, I would in give Clark this. Lee a 14-year extension, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, also, something, something, Danny, something, something, warming up, something, something. my question i'm a big fan of logos and branding in sports what is your guys favorite logos in college football and throughout all of sports on the flip side what are the worst logos thanks for being an awesome pod to fill my long drives to work alex from scranton
3: I mean, I'm biased, but I think Florida State has the coolest logo. Seriously? See, I football. hate Florida State's new logo. Oh. I like the old one better. I oh, don't the like new the one, yeah. The new one, I'm not a huge yeah, fan of, one. but I still he looks I like still he's
1: like He looks like he's in the middle of something in the new logo.
0: Tulane Green Wave.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tulane's my favorite. I, <laughs> I don't really have logos I hate. I, I don't like in the same sense as Florida State. I don't like Arizona State's Pitchfork. I preferred the old, you know, Devil logo, so Bring back Satan. I know Herm will be bothered by that. <laughs> but I like I love the Tulane logo. That's probably my favorite. I like NC State's Tuffy logo, which I don't think they use nearly enough. I like the Iowa logo. I like Fresno State's logo. I like Colorado's logo. The only logos I don't particularly like are just like the ones that are letters. Those are boring to me. And some of them are fine. Some of them look good. It's just it's there's nothing exciting about them.
2: I to your point there, I I liked Air Force's old logo. Like the one they used in the '90s with 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 Mm -hmm. the actual Falcon on it. Like now it's just AF, and not try to hate on the Service Academy, but just kind of kind of boring. Like like if if you have a cool mascot like the Falcons, go ahead and 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 go with it. You know, I I, that makes sense. Also, Auburn needs to bring back its its kind of questioning Tiger from the '70s and '80s. Like that that guy (laughs) is is great.
0: So no love for like a block S. Or the OU or the big block N or the Big Block M or the bi- big block W, even the boring. I for Illinois. Boring. Oh, OU Illinois is boring.
1: Good. Illinois has the worst logo in college football.
0: Um UAB. That's a strong one. Yeah, mm. No no love for mm. the
1: Blazer. It's not that I don't like it. It's just it's I wouldn't I wouldn't buy a hat just because of that is on it. Okay, that's kind of like my measuring stick. Would I buy a hat just because I like the logo? Talk about West Virginia. Like, that—that's a great logo there. That's that's a cool-looking letter logo. I wouldn't buy a hat though.
0: Wyoming is the best Cowboys logo.
3: Yes. I'm just leaving this here for the rest of the show. I'm YouTube. YouTube.com. Podcasting a visual medium.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> you can <laughs> stream us, can uh, stream you know us on Spotify, and you can listen to the helmet being held up. Stream and follow us on Spotify, or you can see us on YouTube, YouTube.com slash cover
1: three. Like
3: if if I West
0: know,
1: Virginia could turn that, the Mountaineer uh, mascot into like the logo, just that dude with his rifle, that, that would be a pretty cool logo.
3: <laughs> I love the... San Diego State sent me a helmet. It's one of the coolest helmets yeah. I've ever seen. They San- got a pretty good cool, they now as far as helmets go, and it it's pretty I sweet. like the
2: uh, the old Arizona logo that I, I just put in the chat here on Zoom, where where it ha- had like the mountains and, and the cactus and the sun mm-hmm. rising in the distance. Like that that was cool. Like now it's just kind of a boring A. An A. You know? Yeah. yeah. Go back. Like be more
0: creative. Maybe You know, to your point about San Diego State, Mountain West might be one of the better logo conferences.
1: Pound for pound? Yeah.
0: Like San Jose State Spartans is pretty slick with the Spartan helmet with the blue and gold. Uh, Your Boise State, Nevada, don't lean on letters. They lean on the uh, the, the actual mascot. I mean, the Fresno State Bulldogs, I will admit, is also the exact same Bulldog as – Three hundred ninety-four high schools across the entire country that they just copy and paste and Photoshop in new colors. But New Mexico's logo is cool. I think Colorado State's logo is cool. Mountain West is does have some bangers. I, I actually I don't
2: even mind some of the letter mascot or some some, some of the letter logos that are that are like overlapped or that are like like incorporated with the design of the school. Like like Virginia is just the V, but it has the swords mm-hmm. right. UNC is, is overlapped and it, it has the colors. It, it's, it's solid. Um, Colorado throws it on the buff. Uh Washington state, right? The you know Washington with the Cougar. That's, that's not bad.
0: Not bad at all. All right. So any, any other worse ones outside of just the straight up letters? Oh, does script pit do it for y'all or nah?
1: No. Oh, I like it. What? I like the logo. What the thing with Pitt I don't like are like the royal blue jerseys that everybody loves. I don't like those at all.
0: Mm, I can you, like, you like
1: the pit in navy? Uh I prefer Pitt's white jerseys. He says,
0: Give me the Dion Lewis Pitt jerseys. Ah. Give me the Larry Fitzgerald Pitt jerseys.
2: Yeah, that's like knockoff Notre Dame. Like like, I liked, I liked, like, like I the better. Pitt of the seventies.
3: No, I, the damn Marino throwback is one of the best. I, I just don't like that shade of blue.
2: That. Tom also likes the, uh, the terrible San Diego chargers uniforms, as opposed to the, like, like the nice light
1: blue, I bet. No, I love the powder blues. Powder okay. blue is different than the Royal blue that they use. I don't like that shade of blue. Oh, period.
0: ECU. We cannot let this pass without the skull and crossbones, right? Or the marching pirate. When every, uh, when all the mascots were upright standing and had sailor hats. You know, and they were, had tiny little legs and, and big torsos. That The Marching Pirates been good, but they've uh, they've been on that skull and crossbones here for a little bit.
2: Um, right, I found some more I don't like, by okay. the way. All right. Uh, Georgia Tech, just the GT. It's not really creatively done together. It doesn't really go together. They should incorporate their actual mascot into it. Uh, I don't like Baylor's BU, just kind of whatever. Um, at least Rice has that like old English font, which is – a little bit different, I guess. Oh, it's classy. You know, Houston, I think looks looks like crap personally. Um, Tennessee's fine because it's just it's the Power T. It's iconic. Texas Tech doesn't really do it for me.
3: Now, with some of those, like, are you guys like the the Penn State helmet? I think it's boring as could be. Like, I would be, and I know they've thrived on. Hey, we're not going to experiment. We're not going to go outside. Same thing with Alabama. I think they're boring.
1: I don't so like, I like Penn state's, Penn state's, Penn
3: state's Penn State logo
1: in general. You
0: do. Yeah. Yeah. There. I mean, they, they don't, I don't get the, I don't get a rise and award points for your unwillingness to change. You know, Me like I, I don't think that that's
3: cool. Um, but I can't say that I hate it either. They're very throwbacks are cool when you throw them back. Not when you never change them. Hmm. Good take Danny can now. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, next question. Uh, great pod. And will be fun to hear all the entertaining takes this off season as the pod continues to evolve this long time listeners intrigued by what is to continue. What is to continue to come? Great job, chip, Tommy, Danny, and bud and the artist formerly known as Barton question looking over the 24 seven composite from 2010 to 2017 picked those classes as 2018 should be entering the league. Now, Only four of the 16 five-star quarterbacks have been first-round draft picks. That's under the assumption Davis Mills won't be. So from 2010 to 2017, four of the 16 five-star quarterbacks have been first-round draft picks. What has made it so difficult to evaluate that position this past decade, and do you believe it has already turned the corner as the listener notes Fields, Lawrence, and more?
2: So 2010 to 2017. Yes. um, Let me see here. So we had one in 2010, Philip Sims. He basically got recruited over at Alabama, which is going to be our first point on this. A lot of times, one of your issues is that you have a clustering of the very best players going to the same school. And at the quarterback position, there's only one ball, right? And Mm -hmm. transferring out, You can still have success transferring, but and I think you can argue that you probably should have success transferring if you're actually that good as a quarterback. But at the same time, it's you know never quite as easy. Jeff Driscoll, I think we saw Jeff Driscoll make the NFL, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. like he just had a terrible offensive coach in Will Muschamp. I mean, the guy, like the guys where quarterbacks go to die. Uh, Braxton
1: Miller, you know, did he get drafted? Yeah, he he played as a. He wasn't drafted as a QB though. I don't think um he played receiver
2: for houston you know like that i i guess you can call that a miss but he didn't he win the heisman
1: braxton miller close to
2: it no not not win the heisman excuse me but he had a he had a pretty nice
1: career yeah no he had a, he was a very good college quarterback
2: yeah you know like that that is a miss technically um Gunnar keel les miles kind of said it didn't have the stomach for it right the chest uh, J- james was james was a hit i'm just going going year by year here It's interesting. Uh, Okay.
0: See, I would think that my answer, or at least where my mind went, and I'm not good at evaluating these players as high school prospects, but I was thinking that we're dealing with a decade where offenses were changing. They were shifting. And therefore our uh, priorities and what we're looking for in quarterbacks, what we think is going to translate and what we think is, um, you know, going to lead to success. All of that has been shifting. I think that we're in a better place now where the NFL has aligned with college a little bit more and college has landed in a spot where, especially at the quarterback position, it's a little bit less all over the map and that the decade that is being identified here has been one where it's been really tough just because everything's been changing so rapidly.
2: A couple more things here that that I wanted to point out, because I've been doing some digging on this for, for related projects. So I'll, I'll tease it here. One thing I do think that as an industry, both us on the evaluation side and coaches, uh, have gotten away from is that they are not quite as enamored by tools anymore. Right. I think a lot of coaches for a long time thought that you could teach accuracy and you could teach how to read a defense. And and I think you can, I think you can improve some of those things, but I think a lot of coaches now are more in that Mike Leach camp. Either you can, either you're accurate and you just have the innate feel for how to deliver the ball or you don't. So you look at a guy like Hackenberg, right? Great tools. Big time arm, prototypical build, you know, Max Brown, same thing. They didn't have the, the the little parts that make it. And, you know, four out of 17, I think, was the stat chip. That's that's bad. Like yeah. that, that's that's a lot. That's too many misses. Whereas we know in recent drafts, you know, five stars get drafted about 60% of the time, which is incredibly, you know, like like great odds if you your high school senior and you're a five star. I think in general, I just know in our own rankings process, I can't speak for what the other two services do we are valuing production more at the high school level. We, we think it's more predictive than, than we realize. I also think that nowadays teams are, are sort of QB proofing their offenses more, right? Like do you think Mac Brown balls out another school? Like a lot of these schools are, are going to this idea of basically we need to run a system that anybody can come in here and run basically, and then recruit to that.
3: To your point about uh... – you know, being able to throw it, teaching accuracy. I'm a firm believer that you can't, I think you can improve on it uh, with systems and those types of things. But I'll never forget. I was in high school. My dad was the team doctor for the dolphins and I'd go out in there in the off season. I'd throw with Marino and I'd always be asking him stuff. And he was as cocky as he could get. He was the best. He was awesome to me But he'd be looking in the mirror, be like, damn, I'm good looking. Like just great dude. Right. So I would ask him like, Hey, you know, how's my technique. And he was like, look, He's like, you can either throw it or you can't. And he's like, I think you can throw it. So I was good news. I was like, what What would he have done if he didn't, if I couldn't throw it? But he's like, you can throw the ball enough to, to have some success. But I'm a big believer in that. Now, that to the quarterback guru business of who make a lot of money and saying we can develop quarterbacks, that's not the best news. But a lot of it is just natural ability to throw the football, and I don't think there's one way you have to throw it. I think there's different motions, different grips, and different you know footwork. I mean, Mahomes has the worst footwork in the NFL. Like it's it's atrocious if you look at his footwork and fundamentals. He just has a cannon. He knows where it's going, and he can put it, you know, a, a centimeter out, out of the arch, uh, outstretched arms of a defensive back. So I'm, I'm a believer in that. I do think. It's just, I think it's a hard position to evaluate. The NFL, look at their success rate when they're, you have guys paid a lot of money to evaluate quarterbacks that are making, you know, decisions that are going to cost their franchise 20, 30 million dollars and they still miss on guys. So I think we're, and I actually do think we're getting better. And I think a lot of it is because, the systems that are running college now are more aligned with what they're running in high school and they're running it year round and players and, and I don't love it that it's year round, but you have the seven on seven camps that they're, they're running passing concepts, which they're going to see in high school. And then they go to college and they're more familiar with the system. So there's less of a, a, this guy's just a total miss. And I agree with Bud, like a lot of them, there's only one position I've come around to the transferring idea because there's only one ball on the field and if you're not playing and you want to play somewhere then go do it. I don't like when guys transfer to go make the NFL goal. If you want to just be a player and want to start, then go find a place you can start. But if you're transferring to try to get to the NFL, that's what gets a little bit frustrating to me. But I think it's an extremely hard evaluation to make. It's just a tough position.
0: That's a good point with uh you know we were looking at high school to first round. First round to what do you do in the NFL shows yeah, that this, right. this has been uh, a good bit of a crapshoot. Sorry, bud. And with mean a cut much off.
2: larger sample set, too, right? Yeah. like mm-hmm. I mean, the the NFL gets four years of college to look at. And for the most part, dudes are done growing physically. On our end, there's some still guys who, who are going to you know, get another swipe at the puberty lottery as freshmen. And they, they end up growing. Like, that's, you know, that's tough.
0: Shout yeah. out to the puberty lottery.
1: And to follow up on what you were saying, Danny, about like teaching accuracy, like that's the one thing that if we look at the NFL this year, that is very interesting to me going forward about what we saw from Josh Allen this year, because Josh Allen in college was not accurate at all. It was why I was so low on him coming out of college, and then his first two years in the NFL, he completed fifty three percent of his passes as a rookie. That went up to fifty nine percent in his second season, and this this year he completed sixty nine percent of his passes, which is like a huge jump. And he was just more accurate overall. It wasn't just the completion percentage. So I'm interested in seeing was that kind of like a fluky season for him, or have they figured something out and maybe fix something mechanically to help him with that and see how that goes forward. And that's also why when we look at the draft class going into this this spring i am not i like zach wilson a lot but everybody that's putting him ahead of justin fields i think is making a huge mistake just because of the accuracy of justin Fields' ball
3: two things i would say i think stefan Diggs made a massive difference like you get guy a guy like that on your team that kind of opens up a lot and he's a stud so you can complete a lot of balls to him makes a massive difference and i think that's a big like I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Alabama quarterback dynamic how this is unfolding because it's a lot easier to play and have seventy five percent completion percentage when your guys are a lot more open when you have a cleaner pocket when you've got a run game to fall back on. It just and I, I and I'm I'm a little bit surprised that it doesn't come up more in evaluation. Like Tua, I was skeptical on because of his injuries and because when he did face really good defenses like a Georgia. Or, like a Mississippi State, even where it's who we got hurt against, but you saw his play deteriorate somewhat. And with Mac Jones, who's awesome and had a fantastic year, when was the time we saw him struggle? It was the Arkansas game. What I'm curious. Mm -hmm. He didn't have, like, he didn't, he was always, everything was clean, everything was great, and he maximized it and was awesome. And he's going to get drafted in the first round because of it. But I'm really curious what happens if you go to a team like the Dolphins, where they're not going to have everything around you that's that much better than everybody else. And I think it's going to be tough to evaluate Alabama quarterbacks, and you'll have to go on the combine. And the film looks good, but it's kind of hard to look bad when you have that much around you. Yeah. Coming up on um, the other
0: oh, – go ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead, Chip. Coming up on the other side, the college football conference championships are decided by wins, losses, head-to-head tiebreakers, and a conference championship game but what if they were decided by a fist fight tournament with coaches? Detailed breakdowns, picks, next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Cover three listeners, I wanted to let you know about Paramount Plus. I mean, you've probably seen the journey to Mount Paramount featuring Bill Cower, James Corden, Patrick Stewart, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I know, I know, quite a squad. But Paramount Plus is live sports, breaking news, and a mountain of entertainment. You can go straight from game day to all the way to movie night, all with Paramount Plus. You can stream iconic movies like The Godfather, Indiana Jones, and Mission Impossible, along with new episodes of critically acclaimed original series like Star Trek Picard, The Good Fight, and The Stand. And get this. It's where you're going to be able to dive deep into live sports with us. CBS Sports, that's going to include the NFL, March Madness, the Masters, and Champions League Soccer. Plus, stream hit shows from CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, the Smithsonian Channel, Comedy Central, and live sports. It is so much live sports, breaking news, a mountain of entertainment. It is Paramount Plus, streaming March 4th. This next question comes from Grant. Grant says, I feel good about this. What's up, legends? I love the pod. Best CFB pod by a long shot. But in my opinion, the big old bag of mail is too filled with logical, thought-provoking questions. Any CFB podcast can talk football, I thought I'd send in an abstract question that no other CFB podcast would dare to answer. If each conference was decided by a fist fight tournament amongst head coaches, which coach wins each power five conference. Now he also, he has his picks and I actually want to save his picks until we get to get into this. And then he also adds after his picks Love the addition of Bud, and keep up the great work, fellas. I like it.
2: All right, um, what, which which league we going first, Mac?
0: He said Power <laughs> Five Conference. Oh damn,
2: because I, I there's a guy in the MAC that would
1: win the whole country. Go for it, Sean Lewis. <laughs> really? Have you seen Sean Lewis? Yes, he's like seven. <clears throat> he's like seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah,
2: he, I mean, he he looks like a guy who could be in the WWE. Yeah, he he would win. I'm pretty sure, like the whole the whole the whole tournament, he's the big show. Like, yeah, have you seen him in person? It's like,
0: holy cow! Like, he looks like he could still
2: play for Wisconsin right now, and he's six eight.
0: Okay, um, where do y'all want to start? I've got I've got my my picks right here.
3: There's gonna be some obvious ones too. I think is is Coach O the easiest? I think so. Is that Derek Mason's out of the league? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh,
0: (laughs) nobody's jumping on Clark Lee.
1: I think I think Barton Simmons could beat up every coach in the SEC. Uh no. The coach man
0: o. who was ripping Slayer fans off the chain link fence before it collapsed at Toad's place. Um no I, I think that Coach O is, is probably your obvious one for uh your obvious one for the SEC. Right?
1: Yeah, I, I just feel like he'd be the most excited for it too. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he'd be like, he'd be like sitting there. He'd, he'd be awake at night a week before. The oh, go to, going to get to fight all the coaches in a week from now. <laughs> um, Did you
3: guys see uh, that? Just reminded me Tom's um, impression there. Did you see the Rock show? I oh, didn't watch. Saw it. the clip. He <laughs> saw the clip of the coach that played Coach O's the guy's way too good looking and skinny and small, but he had the voice down. He was like, "I'm going to, you know, you want some coffee? I'm going to chew on that coffee." Like it was just, it, but it was really awkward to see it unfold.
0: Um, all right. Well, let's. what about the ACC? I'm going Bronco.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I felt like the ACC was the most wide open because there isn't to me like an obvious choice. Bronco was somebody I considered. I also thought Jeff Collins could probably uh, hold account of himself there pretty well.
0: Narduzzi, Narduzzi. was another one yeah. that I was looking yeah. at.
1: I think Mac Brown's tapping out pretty quick. <laughs> I think Brian Kelly's probably tapping out pretty quick. I think Dabo wouldn't tap out. I just don't think he would last very long. Uh, what yeah, about Dorn? I think yeah, Dorn's a decent. Yeah, Dorn's. This contender.
0: ain't hey, This ain't a Bassmaster contest. All right, this is a fist <laughs> fight we're talking about right here. Hey,
1: hey, you gotta you ever you, you spend some time reeling those things in.
0: That's right. He's from. <laughs>
1: Oh, and by the way, I was you know on, on the other show the other day I said I said the white bass trophy for the Illinois Wisconsin rivalry. I thought about it. that was that was more just a gut reaction. The more I thought about it, I think a walleye trophy makes more sense. but uh, <laughs> back yeah, I I know what the questioner picked. I get it. I don't necessarily agree with it though. Who do you oh. pick?
0: Jeff Hafley from Boston College.
3: See, that's I was going to make the case for Mike Norvell. Like, hey, he was a scrappy wide receiver. You know, he's in pretty good shape. But then you'd have to have some sort of technique advantage. Like, you'd have to be like the Gracie brothers, which maybe they want to – because Halfley's not that big. Norvell's not that big. And if you just went size, like, I think that's where – like, Narduzzi, I think, is the sneaky pick. That's probably who I would go with. Narduzzi – Like, the toughness. Like, well, Well, he
0: tries to start fights. I mean, he's yeah. got it ingrained yeah. with the entire pit team. They start fights in every single game. I gave Bronco my tiebreaker because they're smashing rocks with sledgehammers in the locker room. That's that's next level, man.
1: My my concern about Narduzzi is like the guys who generally try to start fights usually aren't the guys that finish them. It's like the quiet dude that you need to be a little more wary of.
0: Mm. Which uh, is not my pick for the Big 12. Uh I mean, it seems obvious, but if you hunt rattlesnakes, you've got to be good at a fist fight, right?
1: Mike Gundy? Mike Gundy ain't winning that fight. (laughs) How big is Mike Gundy? Uh, I mean, so
0: Chris Kleiman, Gary Patterson.
1: See, I don't think Gary's got the stamina to win against nine other guys.
0: And I'm listening to Gary Patterson's acoustic guitar serenading, and I'm just not, I I don't hear fist fight in that. And those sweet strums.
1: Dave Dave Aranda Aranda, Aranda. looks like he could fight. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) like you just look at like if you don't know anything about Dave Aranda, if you just saw him at a bar, you'd be like, "Yeah, I'm avoiding. I'm
2: I'm
3: not fighting that guy."
1: (laughs) He was a linebacker in
2: college. I mean that. Yeah, I, I think Dave Aranda. It.
1: How big is Campbell at Iowa State? Campbell's he's not huge, but he's built.
0: That was the listener pick. He had Matt Campbell for the Big Twelve coming out on top.
1: Yeah, I think I think Matt would hold 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 the of himself pretty well. I don't know that he would win though.
0: Um, in the Big Ten.
2: Oh, it's Scott Frost. Scott Frost. Oh, Jacked.
3: dang! Call. Yeah. Great Matt Pat, call, Matt Pat Fitzgerald. You're gonna go. Uh, I'm taking Scott
2: Frost. He's. I would. How, take how much Frost. younger is he than than than, than Pat? Stamina.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you need the stamina. Guys, I don't know though. It's not like it's not like Fitz is out of shape. No. He, was a, like, he was a defensive player. I know Frost. Is I, like, he really he only is?
1: 46? Yeah. But yeah, he's my, is about he's my Fitz, wow. I feel See, like, I think that f- th- I feel like he could win the fight, but I feel like Fitz would spend more time trying to break up the fight.
2: I had, oh. I think he would throw down. I
3: I think he'd mix man, it Scott up. Scott
2: and Fitzgerald are the same age. Yeah. Also PJ
3: Flack. I mean, Fitzgerald took the nah, job. PJ's and like, like, getting beat up. Yes. Yeah. All right
1: and you no know what offense. I think I think even PJ I tell you he's getting beat up and, and what, what'll
0: make it worse is how excited all the other Big Ten coaches are to fight PJ Fleck
3: you yeah. know like mm-hmm. this he might be the hold me back guy he yeah. might be the hold me back is the Big See, Ten
2: East the worst division of fighting coaches in the Power Five Gianno <laughs>
3: Tom Allen's got a little size so to him. He's that's little...
0: I was thinking. Like I laughed when I tried to imagine this and make my pick because what if Tom Allen has some like wily veteran fighting skills and he's he's like popping him in the nose real quick when you least expecting it. He's got
1: like a he's like a ninth level black belt.
0: That's I just you know. Leo, baby, love each other. Let's
1: let's and then, go. Right? <laughs> when you don't love each other, beat the hell out of him. Uh, well, Tom Allen was a college wrestler. Oh, okay, oh, there well, we go. Okay. I knew that. He's I got some
3: guy.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, the listener suggestion here was Mel Tucker.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, uh, I, I, I might have messed up. Like Mel Tucker can, can probably
3: throw down. Uh, yeah, he's got some traps.
0: And then, if you want to talk about the conference, where. Uh, well, here we go. Just hey, hey, flood us. Come, come in with the hate because I got to tell you, <laughs> it's just a different culture out west. I don't even know if there's any coaches that can win a fist fight.
3: Mario, you got to go, Mario. Mario. Mario.
2: Well, you don't think Whittingham would would, would, would
1: would throw down oh. with Mario? No, Witt'll throw down. I just think Mario will win. I think it's okay. going to come down to Witt and Mario. <laughs> and, and, I,
0: and the listener think, said Clay Helton, which I would not pick.
1: I think Jimmy Lake would have the most heart. I don't know if he would win, but I think Jimmy would want to be in
3: there. Don't uh, ask the heart of Herm Edwards. He'd what, have the heart. He just. <laughs> what about sure, Justin I, Wilcox?
2: Wilcox is pretty big. Like yeah. The Pac-12 is underrated. They, they got some dudes who could probably rumble. Huh. Uh, what about Jonathan Smith?
0: Mm, quarterback. Quarterback.
1: Yeah, quarterback.
2: You know, you know quarterback. those quarterbacks. You know those right? quarterbacks. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> All right, Danny, the, the QB you played with or played against, you would least like to fight
3: um that's a good question with or against my the quarterbacks I was with were too nice like Charlie's the nicest guy in the world um Thad Busby Chris Wanky after me they they wouldn't be too tough played against like guys like Tommy Frazier was a little wily but he wasn't big at all that's a good question give me some thought I'll I'll, someone will pop to my to the front of my mind
0: Um, Danny, speaking of, uh, before we get out of here, you did let us know that it's order for Danny. We got an order for Danny. That's right. It is a special edition of Knowles to go. Come around back, get, look for your name. They're all out there. Look for your ticket number. And, uh, if you've got any questions, come see us at the front. Danny special mid February edition of Knowles to go. What brings this about Optimism,
3: baby? The optimism is just coming in. Just shoot it in my veins. Cause it's coming baby. So there was an event here. I live in Delray beach. It was right down the street. Well, actually it was way down the street. Cause it was on the ocean. Beautiful house. One of the boosters houses, but Mike Norvell was there. Ron Dugans was there uh, from the coaching staff. William Floyd's the radio guy. He was there, both my old teammates. So it was great to see them. Uh, I hadn't, I'd met Mike Norvell in passing really quick. Hadn't spent much time with him. So not only did I get to get to hear him give his vision for the program to the group of boosters, but I also pulled him aside after we spent about 10 minutes just kind of talking ball and talking about the program, state of the program, COVID issues, how the challenges he's been through. But, of course, for both me and from the crowd there, the question was, what's going on, Mackenzie Milton? Like, how's his health? Where is he? And I would say the reports that I got from Norvell and from Dugan's both – were, and it's not a knock against the guys that have been there, but, like, instant upgrade leadership. Like, he's been there, first guy at Matt Drills, you know, leading guys through drills, create, you know, getting guys to throw out on their own, like, so that aspect. But I was more worried because I, if you get the Mackenzie Milton that was UCF, Florida State's going to have a much better season if they get that version. What I don't know is how is his health? Like, it, it, can he do everything? The Kind of the vibe that I got was – they're expecting full, like they're going to be smart with his reps, maybe on like a pitch count, but they didn't seem too concerned about the the history and the injury itself, where he's going to be expected to pretty much participate in every practice. Um, you know, I mean, I didn't get hit. New Quarterbacks don't get hit in practice, so he'll be protected. But when the season starts, it seems like it's a go for Mackenzie Milton. So I was really excited about that. And then just hearing Mike Norvell talk and give his, you know, kind of, and I'm sure they have, every coach has these kind of 15 minute canned motivational speeches that they give to drive up interest and drive up excitement. And I've heard quite a few of them because I've spoken at different quarterback clubs. And so you hear different coaches think, uh, speak and how they're kind of, you know, how good are they with audiences? I was really, really impressed with his message and, what he is preaching and if, and what he's preaching to the players where it is, you got to kind of start from, you got to tear things down and kind of build them back up and build up trust. And some of the issues they faced here this past year are going to help them be better. And you're getting players who are going to buy more into what he wants and what Florida state wants to be. And it was very different from the last two regimes uh, that were in place there. So I like, I, I was, I was really excited to talk to him and hear his vision for the program. So I'm, I'm pumped up. Let's go. We're taking down Clemson. Did, all right. So year.
0: the, with the Matt drills thing that you mentioned is that mm-hmm. fulfillment on your just sort of like speculation or the conversations that we had here on the podcast where you were talking about, you know, if, if you, think that you're down, if you think that you're dragging a little bit and you see the guy whose leg shattered out there running, is that kind of what you heard? Is that the the impact sometimes doesn't even have to be a, a leadership where you're trying to be like a big voice in the locker room kind of thing?
3: Yes. I think his life experiences make him way more impactful when he is talking to the team. And the fact that a lot of those players watched Mackenzie Milton lead them to a national championship at UCF. like those players that are his age group remember like, that dude's a baller, and all of a sudden he's on our team. Similarly, now I' gotta be careful before I say this, but like when Derek King went to Miami, I was like, uh- oh, that's a game changer. Like he's a guy who can make an instant impact and he was. And I think if you get and now he didn't now this year's good question, Mark for Derek King, like if if you get that version, it will be a difference maker at quarterback, and it will be. Like the difference in wins and losses. The other thing, and we talked about this even on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, when we were doing some of our knolls to Go, which was which sucked when they're losing all the time. It's like, oh, this is can we stopped. I'm like, I'm trying to tap out of the nulls to Go segments. But what uh, what Coach Norvell said, which I thought was very interesting, was in mat drills specifically in spring practices are time to break down the players. You want to see where they are mentally. They're more they're almost in this because I went through these. They're almost more of test you mentally or mental toughness. See when your point of quitting is. And it's like kind of militaristic, like what they do in boot camp. They try to break you down, see where they can take you past that point. And they didn't have that last year. They didn't have a full spring practice. So the first time they're in a game and they're down and they get some bad plays go against them. And all of a sudden they look up and they're down 10. You know, players are fighting or quitting or blaming each other where these off-season drills are about lifting guys up. Like, hey, come on, we can get you to finish. And that those little types of like character-building activities, they do matter. Like, And I think this full off-season that we're expected to have is going to be a massive difference. And it, it also talked about the seven or eight transfers, which will make the biggest difference uh, for Florida State, getting some guys with experience under their belt. All right, Danny, who wins in a fight, you, Jake Plummer, or Steve Berline? Oh, so I would – Jake Squirrely, this little skinny guy, scrawny guy, he's my guy, he would beat me in handball. Uh, But Berline may have the old man strength on me, but right now I feel like I'm in the sweet spot where he's – I remember when we were in the quarterback room, he was going back for his 20 year high school reunion and we were crushing him. Like, oh my gosh, you're so old. How can you be this old? And, you know, he was, of course, is like, will you guys talk to me when you get 20 years in the league? And we're like, oh, geez, you know, and sure enough, he did. Uh, great dudes. Uh, Burline would be tougher to bring down, but I think I'm in better shape than he is. Now we're co workers at CBS. That's right. We do, that, we do that Monday quarterback today. So make sure this tape disappears because I don't want to have- <laughs>
0: Well, the good news is Steve Berline can find this and many platforms for that multi-platform excellence. You can get us, follow and stream us on Spotify. You can get us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can get us youtube.com slash cover3 or within the CBS Sports app. It's all there for you. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fornell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.